Well, I, I keep repeating this each week, and, and I do it for a reason, but, but in, this, in this class, in this series of classes that we're going to be talking, where we talk about evangelism and missions later on, we're going to be talking about missions, um, they're intended to give you a theology of evangelism, and I'm, and I'm hoping you're seeing that as you, we, we've, we've laid some foundational things there, some work there to show you that um, there isn't a theology, what God thinks of sharing his word. Uh, but more than that, or, or at least as much as that, it's designed to equip you and exhort you to be active and intentional in, in taking the gospel to people that, that God has placed around you. I've asked you repeatedly to pray about that, that you would have first an open heart for people around you that are lost, and then to, um, to look for those opportunities that you can share Christ with someone that God has placed around you. Um, and, and so that is the kind of the reason why we started at the beginning. If you remember, we started by looking at the big picture. From Genesis to Revelation, we, we needed to start with the fact that that God's glory should be our primary motivation in proclaiming the gospel. It's not about us. It's about God and His glory. We need to be clear that God is the evangelist. He's the one who delights in saving sinners, even if we don't sometimes. We need to understand that we've been entrusted with the honor and responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. So... Hope you, hopefully you're seeing already that evangelism isn't an elective. It's commanded and, and, it's, and, and it's our responsibility. God has given us, entrusted that to us. It's also an honor. We have the privileged position of introducing people to Christ. I mean, if you just think about that, that is, that is an awesome responsibility and, and, a, and a privileged position that, that God has given us. Well, then it was important that we looked at the great theological high wire of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, only to find that both are true according to God's word, making it a theological paradox. So we pray for the lost, we pursue the lost, we proclaim the gospel to the lost because evangelism is the sovereign act of God that, that we participate in. Last week, we spent our time looking at what the Bible says about the gospel. Finally, we turned our attention, uh, we, well, we also looked at, at how, how the Bible defines what a definition of the gospel. The Bible defines that. We turned our, then we turned our attention to the things we can do to help clearly explain the gospel to others. And I suggested a four-part framework for delivering the gospel message and that was God, man, um, Jesus, and a response, to ask for a response. And we kind of went through that. God is the ruler of everything and perfectly holy. He created us to serve Him, love Him, and live under His authority. And, and, and He is also just perfectly holy. But we've rebelled against God, choosing instead to serve and love ourselves and reject God's rule in our life. 
The Bible makes no bones about our rebellion. What does the Bible call it? Sin. Sin, right. It makes no bones about that. Because God is completely holy and good, He would be completely just to punish us eternally for those sins. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ what? He died for us. He provided, provided that way for us to be reconciled to Him. That's Romans 5.8. He sent His Son Jesus into the world. Unlike us, Jesus lived a perfect, perfect obedience in perfect obedience to his Father. Then he died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5 and uh, 5.21 specifically says that. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that God had accepted his sacrifice. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians, what? 15, verse 4 and 5 especially, right in there. Okay? What Jesus accomplished on the cross, the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, is now available to anyone who would turn away from their sins and repent and put their trust in Christ. So there's a response there. As Christians, we count it a joy and a privilege to be given the responsibility of sharing the gospel. More than any news we could ever pass along about the weather or health or sports or a great meal or a great book, even about politics or the economy, is the gospel. The one message in the world through which God brings souls from death to life. If you're a Christian sitting here this morning, you know that to be true. So I'm, I'm assuming all of you know that to be true. I love the song. We sing it here um, often. I hope, hopefully we'll sing it soon again. And it's all I have in Christ. You know that song? Okay, here's, here's the words, because I like it. I once was lost in darkest night, yet, and I thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed you. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. Isn't that great? Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. And that's... That is, kind of takes you, that song takes us right through the gospel. And those four steps, those four things I told you. We were lost in darkness night, and that's true, until we beheld God's love displayed in the gospel. And now, as a result, all I know is grace. Well, that brings us to the practical side of theology. Remember I told you at the beginning that we're going to be looking a lot of practical theology the practical side of theology and the topic of our discussion today. What it means to faithfully share your personal testimony. You have learned a lot of doctrine over the years. God, uh, Rod has, has really been good at teaching uh, doctrine. That's his life has been to do that. Um, and that doctrine, though, needs, needs to be taken somewhere so it just doesn't fill our head with knowledge. 
That's practical theology. And so we're going to look at some of that today when we talk about um, evangelism. So we're going to talk about um, what it means to faithfully share your personal testimony. All of you came to Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you, you came to a place in your life where, where you realized that sin really was sin and it was a salt against a holy God. And you had to realize that Jesus was the only solution to that sin. You had to realize that, that, that Jesus paid the price by dying, being crucified, dying on the cross, really dead, and then God rose him from the grave. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so you had to, you had to have some understanding of that. So... Today we want to talk about not just, we want to talk about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. And so let's start by talking about what a personal testimony is and isn't. What I mean by personal testimony is simply this. A personal testimony is the story of how you came to be reconciled to God through the gospel. It's your story. It's your personal story of how, how you came to be reconciled to God through the gospel. How God got a hold of your life and you realized that you were on the, or the wrong path. Whether you were this massive, massive sinner that was just, you know, as depraved as you think can think, or whether you were a pretty good kid, you were still sinful and did things that were an assault to a perfectly holy God. So you have a personal testimony, and it is the story of how you came to be reconciled to God through the gospel. We'll flesh this out in more detail in a few minutes, but I want to be clear about something very important, something that, so there's no misunderstanding. A personal testimony is not the gospel. Your personal testimony is not the gospel. Sharing your testimony in of itself doesn't necessarily equal evangelism. In Matthew 28, Jesus commissions Christians to go and make disciples. In other words, to share the gospel with people and then encourage those who accept it towards spiritual maturity and their relationship with God. Jesus exhorts, exhorts Christians in the Great Commission to spread the word about what he accomplished on the cross. That's his, his charge. Evangelism is the act of sharing the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. That's right. That's evangelism. So even though I'm dedicating a whole class to it, I don't want you to think that sharing your personal testimony should ever be a substitute for sharing the gospel. Okay? But, we'll, but just bear with me for a little bit. I think a personal testimony is a wonderful thing. The Bible's full of examples of personal testimonies. Um, next week you're going to hear Paul's defense um, before Agrippa. That's Acts 26. And Aaron's going to I won't be here, so Aaron will be teaching next week, but he's going to stay right on this. He's going to show you 
um, Paul, Paul's personal testimony before Agrippa. It's a clear example of his testimony as he shared the gospel. So we, ought, we, we ought, should always testify to the wonderful experience of receiving God's mercy. Somebody read 1 Peter 3, um, 13 through 17. I, we're going to key in on verse 15, but I just so to kind of get a little bit of the context there. Somebody start with uh, verse 13 and read to verse 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will to, if it will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Okay, so in verse 15, well, first of all, the context of the whole whole thing is, you know, suffering. You know, they're being persecuted there. Um, and so, uh, the, so they're, 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 because of that, he's telling them to do this. But in verse 15, he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. There's that idea of telling someone about the gospel through your own experience of how God, how God um, rescued you from your sin. But in John 9, there's a man born blind who gives the, his testimony but doesn't even know who Jesus is. His words glorify God, but they don't present the gospel. So testimony doesn't always equal evangelism itself, unless you're explicit about Jesus Christ and the cross, it's not the gospel. Our personal testimonies are not the gospel, but rather a, a testament to how the gospel has proved itself true in our lives. So this morning, I hope to help you think about how your personal testimony, while it may not be the gospel, sharing your personal testimony can be an effective tool in evangelism. As a matter of fact, I personally believe it's one of the most, if not the most, effective tool. Um, and I even ask you to do that as a, as a homework assignment. I don't know if any of you did. And we'll get to that at the end in, in, in a moment, but... Um, because that is important. Hopefully you did that. Um, Psalm 66, 16. Three, re three reasons to share your testimony. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you of what he has done for my soul. Psalm 66, 16. There's probably many more, but I want to highlight three reasons why we should share our testimonies. Number one, number one is to fight fear and doubt in evangelism. To, kind of, to fight the fear and doubt in evangelism. When you start to tremble and shake at the thought of sharing the gospel, or when you start to doubt if God really has the power to save a person he's laid on your heart, 
to talk to about the gospel. And we've, we've experienced both of those things, right? Um, take some time to remember how God intersected your own life. Think about that for a minute. This can be a wonderful weapon in your struggle to maybe find boldness in doing that. Boldness, having faith in doing that. Praise God that the person who shared the gospel with you didn't shrink in fear, right? I'm thankful for that. For me, it was a guy at summer camp when I was 12 years old. And uh, uh, it was the preacher at, at, that, at summer camp. And, and uh, I had heard the gospel. Even though I grew up in a Methodist church, that's about all I heard was the gospel. And, uh, and um, so I'd heard it, but for some reason, God used that man to finally, for me to finally hear, hear that. So remember how lost you really were without God. Remember what Ephesians 2.12 says, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. The great preacher and hymn writer John Newton remembered his pre-conversion life, and he wrote this of himself. He said that he was not capable of anything and had not the least fear of God, nor the least sensibility of conscience. Remember how, remember how you were once hellbound? You were, without Christ. Remember how the emptiness of the world's lives, lies just, just gnawed at you? Remember how your heart was cold and hard as a rock to God? Remember those things. And then marvel at how God saved you. Marvel at how, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.13, in Christ Jesus you who were, one, who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Later, Augustine, or Augustine, however you say it, put it like this. God released you from the fetters of lust which held you so tightly shackled and from your slavery to the things of this world. God did that. He saved you from that. Marvel at how God changed your trajectory. How he rescued you. How he filled that gnawing void in your life. Marvel at how he forgave your sins. Think about your personal sins. He, he forgave you. And how he broke your stony heart and replaced it with a heart of love for him. The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, is that God can, if he can save you and me, he can save anybody. By remembering the miracle and the joy of our own salvation, we're stirred in boldness in pursuing others. And that gives us that, that motivation to do that. But there's another reason why we should share our personal testimony. Number two is to encourage other Christians to share the gospel. To, sh to encourage other Christians to share the gospel. Do you know people who struggle to be faithful in evangelism? Do you? Do you know people who struggle with that? You know, just sharing Christ with others? Do you know believers that have apathy or indifference towards the lost. That's why I've been asking you to pray for the lost. Because it's easy to do. You know those people. 
you may be there too. So in a similar, similar way, we should share with them how we've seen God at work in our own lives and challenge them to recall God's saving and sanctifying work in theirs. We're really good at talking about where we're from, what we do, what kind of things we're into, um, the weather, and you can just so on, just, just name all kinds of things there. But our conversations among fellow Christians should be littered with testimonies about what the Lord has done and what He's doing right now in our lives. Here's a few things for, that I want you to think about. And these are gut-wrenching things I know I'm going to say here in a minute. But I want you to think about them. Do you know the stories of how your friends came to know the Lord? Do you? Do you know how the folks you, you sit by at church came to know the Lord? Do you, when you pray for friends and fellow church members, hopefully you do that, do you thank God for how He saved them? How He brought a faithful gospel witness into their lives and brought them to repentance and faith? Well, if not, make it a point even this week of asking them to tell you their story. And not only that, but sharing yours with them. I think you might find that by doing so, you'll be encouraged. You'll be encouraged to share your, your story, your testimony. I think your thoughts of evangelism will be, begin to ignite into a flame, hopefully again, or maybe for the first time. And I think, I, I hope, I hope it will encourage you to share Christ. So we share, our, we share our testimony to fight fear and doubt in evangelism, to encourage other Christians to share the gospel, but there's another reason. Number three, to steer conversations with unbelievers toward the good news and bear witness to its truth in your life. To steer conversations with unbelievers toward the good news and bear witness to its truth in your life. Although sharing a personal testimony doesn't take the place of sharing the gospel, it can be an effective on-ramp to evangelism. It can get you there. It can be a way to move a conversation with an unbeliever that you're trying to build a deep and meaningful relationship with towards the good news. So now let's talk about mapping our testimonies to point unbelievers to Jesus. How do we, how do we map this out? How do we take what God has done in our life and, and map it in a way, put it, organize it in a way that, that points unbelievers to the gospel, points them to Christ. And um, this is, go ahead, everybody turn to John 4. John 4. And we're going to let the, the scriptures unpack our thinking on this point. John 4, and everybody there? All right, I'm going to read it. You follow along with me, and I'm going to start with verse 4. It's kind of a long passage. Starting with verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of 
Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Joseph, Joseph's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is, is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his son and his cattle, sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will come, become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This, is, this you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ... When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Skip down to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of, of the woman who testified, he told me all these, the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. More, many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves for ourselves and know this one is indeed the Savior of the world. 
Now, there's a lot we could say about this passage, the way Jesus upends the societal and religious morals and standards of the day and willingly entered into an exchange with a, with a Samaritan woman, or the way he reads the woman's heart and reveals her sin, or the way he in mercy holds out himself to her as the fountain of life. I mean, it's a, it's a great passage. We could go to a lot of places, right? But let's zero in specifically on what the woman does in response to her encounter with Jesus at the well. And I think by doing so, we can see a couple of guidelines for, for sharing our own personal testimonies with unbelievers. So, number one, the first thing is that the woman testifies to others about her experience with Christ. The fact that the woman leaves her water jar at the well expresses her astonishment over Jesus' apparent omniscience. I mean, he revealed the hidden sins of her life and expresses her bewilderment over Jesus' claim to be Messiah. I mean, she's, she's shocked. She had to find somebody and tell them what Jesus had done. She had to tell somebody what had just happened to her. So she testifies, and that's, that's what she does. Back in town, the text says in verses 28 and 29, that she goes and finds a group of people who we can assume have known her all her life, all their lives. Sychar is a small town. You know how word gets around in a small town, right? You all are familiar with small towns around here. It happens. Just words gets around. So we can assume that they knew her and they've known her all her life and the things that has happened to her. She tells them how Jesus, who she'd never met before, knew all about her many marriages and her many sins. The whole scene kind of is this, kind of this hurried feel. She's, she's, it's like she's, she's testifying on the run and, and while she's, ushering her audience to, to go see for themselves what's happening. And that's kind of the scene here. Before we go on to the second observation, there's an in- interesting implication here that, that I don't want you to miss. Sometimes it's the people who know us best, family members uh, who put up with us through our teenage years, friends we used to party with, uh, co-workers who, who, um, who witness our grumbling or dishonesty at work before we became Christians. Sometimes it's those people. It's those people, the ones who know us best, that we fear sharing our testimony with the most. We're afraid they'll cry foul. We're, we're afraid they'll call us hypocrites. We're afraid they'll receive our message with laughter and and amazement, or doubt, or disbelief. We can take some cues from the woman at the well. We shouldn't shrink back from sharing the gospel with the people who know us the best. In fact, these may be the very people we should pray about sharing the gospel with the most. What a testimony of God's grace. Think about that. What What it would be the saving power 
to explain to them, those people that knew us and the way we were like, that God has changed your life. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful testimony. What a testimony to God's grace to admit to them that you were so lost back in those days. And that your life was full of sin. That your life was full of self-righteousness. What a testimony then to proclaim to them how Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So she testifies to others about her experience with Christ. Number two, she directs them to Jesus. She, she just takes them right to Jesus. She says, let's go. After testifying to others about her experience with Christ, the woman points them to Jesus. She directs them back up to the well. And the testimony of the Samaritans is telling. Afterwards, verse 42, the text tells us, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see what she did? She went from her testimony and she took him straight to Jesus. Remember, it's never our testimony that someone finally, that brings someone finally to salvation. It's not about our testimony. God is the one who saves. And yet our testimonies can be a wonderful way, as we've seen here in John 4, to steer people towards the Savior. Unlike the woman at the well, we don't have the option of literally taking our friends to Jesus, who's standing right there. You know, but we have the charge to introduce him to Jesus, the real Jesus, through the gospel, through his word. So with that, that in mind, let's look at a general framework for sharing your personal testimony. I want to end this morning with just a brief uh, uh, template of how to go about faithfully sharing our testimonies. There's a way that we, we can think about our testimonies, write our testimonies of what happened to us, and then we can, we can cre create a way to make that point to Christ. So number one, share what your life was like before Christ. Share what your life was like before Christ, before Christ became your Lord and Savior. It's, this is not a place to brag about your sin if you sin widely or publicly. It's not the place to brag about that. It isn't the place to, to minimize your sin if you came to Christ at a young age and really uh, people around you didn't know you as a rebel. You know, it's, so it's not, it's not to brag about. It's not to minimize your sin. Instead, it's the place to talk about where you were apart from Christ. Where you were. Where were you apart from Christ? No one is born a Christian. Hopefully you know that. I think we all know that here. By God's grace, some, some come to know him early, at a really early age, but all of us at some part, some time in our life, we're apart from Christ. Talk about that season of your life. Talk about how you used to think about God or sin or Christianity. 
This is often the place where the person or people you're sharing with will be able to relate to you and see how you too have kind of strayed from God or how they have. So, so first of all, we want to share what our life, when I give my testimony, I want to share what my life was like before Christ. I wasn't, in my testimony, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a rebel. I was actually a pretty good kid. I think I was, my parents liked me best. I, I, you know, and so, and so, but, but I really was. I know what I did apart when my parents didn't look or they didn't see me. So I was, and I can share some of those things. And they, then somebody can see that I wasn't the good little Bobby Taylor that, that my mom thought I was. Number two, share how you came to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Share how you came to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Again, some people may have dramatic circumstances around their conversion, and some people may not. The point is that there was a time you turned from your sin and trusted Christ, even if you don't know that exact date. There was a time that you turned from sin to Christ. Uh, John MacArthur made a statement I think is pretty good. He said, uh, concerning your testimony, he said, don't tell me what you were 10 years ago. Tell me what do you believe right now? Yep. And yep. that gives you a very good idea as to whether you're actually born again or not. You're always one step ahead of me, Roger. Just one <laughs> step ahead of me. It's good. That, that's good, though. We'll get there. Um, show how you came to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Talk about Christ's death in your place and his resurrection. Share with them how you turned from your sin and how you trusted fully in Christ to forgive you those sins. Number three, here's what Roger was saying. Share what your life has been like since knowing Christ, because that is important. Share what your life has been like since knowing Christ. This isn't a time to highlight how great you are, of course, because you're nothing apart from Christ. This is the time to show them how Christ has transformed your life. It's also an excellent time to talk about talk with them about your continuing need for the gospel. Like we we need help every day to just get through the day. So there is a continuing need for the gospel because the gospel is not about a plan, it's about a person and that person is Christ. Take the opportunity to dismiss the false, dismiss the false idea that Christianity is for perfect people because it's not. Tell them how Christ is still your savior and how you still need his abundant mercy to cover your proneness to wander. Because we all are prone to wonder, right? Number four, share how he or she can experience the same. As with any gospel presentation, there must be a call for the person you're speaking with to respond to Christ. It's important when you just shared your testimony 
and are calling someone to repentance that you clearly state the fact that you aren't asking them to become like you. You don't want them to become like you. Instead, you're calling them to do what the woman at the well did. Come and see Jesus. That's what you're asking them to do. Your testimony should point them to Christ. And your call to repentance should do the same. Then you want to call them to consider this same Jesus who has changed your life. And that's a way to map your, that's a way to kind of make your testimony, create your, a testimony that you can use for evangelistic purposes. Um, Now, I want to, um, I don't know how, we have about 10 minutes left. Um, And I need to let you out on time because we only have 15 minutes. So, um, but I want to give you your homework. You you see it on your paper, right? I want you to continue to pray for your, your hearts that's, for hearts, your hearts that see lost people like God sees them. Pray about that. We all have a hard time doing that. We're not going to see it perfectly like God sees it, but we want to have a heart for lost people. Continue to pray for open doors in evangelism and continue to pray for the lost people in your everyday area of influence. Those people who you rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis. There's somebody there. And so pray for those lost people. Now, last week I asked you to write out your own personal testimony. And maybe some of you did. Hopefully you did. Um, I did that so you would already have it written out. It was an exercise I wanted you to do. I'm not going to go there with that today. But I did that so that you would have the exercise of just thinking about what happened to you. Okay? But, But this week, I want you to expand on that. Okay? I want you to take the things that we've talked about. I want you to take what you've already written out and then try to structure it in a way that includes those four components that we just talked about so that your testimony naturally points people back to the gospel. I mean, the most important thing about the testimony is not what happened to you. The most important thing about your testimony is that it points them to Christ. And listen, if you say to somebody that you're rubbing shoulders with, you know, I don't think that church is a good church you're going with. It doesn't really have a good gospel. It doesn't have a good gospel message. Or, or I just, you know, I want to just tell you, I just think I want to go over the, I'm going to go over the gospel with you. Well, or something like that. That is not going to go well, probably. Uh, I mean, only God knows, right? But, uh, but, but if you just talk to them about what's happened in your life, you can, you can start steering that conversation slowly to, at the end, pointing them to Christ. Now, we have about, we have about seven minutes here. I'm going to... I've written my testimony out. And, I'm, and, and what I did is I, I wrote it out just in a... Just wrote it, wrote it, wrote it, wrote it, wrote it. Then I went back and I bullet pointed things. And I, and I kind of organized in my own mind so that I 
I could talk about what it was like when I was a kid before I came to Christ, uh, what happened, and then um, from that point on to today, and then I and then included a response in that. And so I'm just going to read that to you, so you can get a feel for what I've, I'm trying to help you develop. Because I think that if you can develop this, God's going to give you opportunity to to share it with someone, and it's not offensive to people. I mean, the the gospel is is offensive to sin. It is uh, because it's it's complete opposite. People don't want to hear about that. How how wretched of a person they are. But at the same time, we can engage them in conversations that get them there and let God use that. He's the evangelist, not us. But we have the opportunity and privilege of getting there. All right. So I grew up in a typical family home. I grew up as a United Methodist. It was a United Brethren. And then the Methodists merged and they became United Methodists. And we, we were on the side of the United Brethren, not as liberal as the Methodists were, um, and um, I sang in the children's choir. Um, I, I was kind of the leader of the youth group in high school. Um, Dad led the church choir. Mom sang in the church choir. Dad was a barbershop quartet guy, and Mom was singing Sweet Adeline, so they had good voices, and they, they uh, did that in the church. Went to Sunday school and church every week that we could be there, um, In Sunday school, I was taught that God created the heavens and the earth, that God was holy. I even sang holy, holy, holy in that church. The Bible was true and I should obey it. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. I learned all those things in Sunday school. When I was about 12 or 13, I went to to summer camp. There was a summer camp right in the little small town that I grew up in, in western New York State. Speaker was kind of a fire and brimstone type of speaker, but he said something that, you know, I had heard this before, but only this time it was different. This time seemed to catch my attention. This time, I guess, I really heard it. I heard the speaker say that the Bible says in Romans 3, there's none righteous, not even one, that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The speaker said that the Bible says there's a penalty for sin and the penalty is eternal death and separation from God I remember that he read in Romans 6 23 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus and I wanted the gift of God that eternal life not eternal death I wanted to be sure that I was going to go to heaven and not hell I thought I was a pretty good little boy much better than my brothers I hadn't done anything really bad I didn't steal anything or tell, well, many lies. I really only cheated a couple times in school. But for the first time, I realized I was a sinner and fell short of God's glory. And that the Bible said there's nobody righteous. There's nobody, not even good little Bobby Taylor. The theme song for the week at camp, I'll never forget it. It's called Jesus Sets Me Absolutely Free. Here's how it went. Jesus sets me absolutely free. He died on Calvary. He gives me victory. Jesus sets me absolutely free. Praise his name. And that's enough to make me sing. That's enough to make me sing. 
My sins are all forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. That's enough to make me sing. Never forget it. That day, that was, man, that was 50-some years ago. That day God removed the blinders from my eyes. And I responded to what the preacher showed me in the Bible. That day I bowed on my knees and repented of my sins. That day I placed my faith and trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior. God led me to Bible college, gave me a wife who loves and serves the Lord, three children that love and serve the Lord. Um, I have grandchildren, 11 grandchildren, not all of them. I don't know that any of them love the Lord yet. But their parents are teaching them about the Lord. I'm here today just a sinner that God saved by grace. Here's the deal. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now's the time you can know Him. Jesus was much more than just a baby who was born at Christmas. The Bible says He was God of very gods and yet also became a sinless man. The Bible says in Luke 2.11, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Bible says in John 1.14, the word Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us and he, we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is still God incarnate, the perfect Lamb of God and the Savior of the world. You see, the majesty of the gospel is simple. God, the creator of everything, is perfectly holy and demands obedience to his word. God isn't, man isn't righteous and falls far short of God's glory. There's nothing he can do to save himself on his own power. The Bible says that all the righteousness he can muster up is like filthy rags. The penalty of sin is eternal death. Eternity in a real hell. But God provided the solution in Jesus Christ. Who is God of very gods, born in a manger to grow up and die a horrible death on a cross to provide the only way of salvation. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 to 1, he made Jesus the one who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. He defeated death. The Bible says he was buried. He was raised on the third day. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. So how about you? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Has he completely forgiven all your sins? Or are you still enslaved to the sins and suffering of your past? There's an old hymn writer that penned these words. Oh my, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. The question is, isn't, is your life perfect? It's not that. The question is, is it well with your soul? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you that in my own life, you took the blinders off my eyes and I, I saw the gospel and I saw Christ for who he was. Thank you for that. I pray that we as people here today would take serious the, the need to spread that message to those we know are without Christ. 
I pray that you would save those people. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.